0: You're listening to Nutrition Matters Podcast with Paige Smathers, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Nutrition Matters Podcast explores how to approach food and your body in a whole new way. I interview people who share stories and expertise in rejecting diet culture, making peace with food, and discovering a more positive, realistic, and sustainable approach to health and well-being. I'm Paige Smathers, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist and owner of Positive Nutrition, an in-person nutrition therapy practice in Salt Lake City, Utah. I offer free resources, including this podcast, a blog, and posts on social media. If you're local to Salt Lake City, check out our services and availability for appointments and keep your eyes out for in-person groups on mindfulness, intuitive eating, body image resilience, and more. Go to positive-nutrition.com and hit subscribe if you'd like to keep in touch. I also offer online courses covering topics like the science of nutrition, mindfulness, and healing your relationship with food. Check those out at positive-nutrition.com academy. If you like what you hear on the podcast, you can make a difference by leaving a review, sharing with friends and family, or making a donation. Thank you so much for your support. You can also find me on Instagram or Facebook if you'd like to have a little more food for thought at Paige Smathers RD. Thank you so much for listening. Hi everyone, welcome to Nutrition Matters Podcast. My name is Paige, and I'm your host, and today I am bringing you a conversation I had with Taylor Wolfram, who is a registered dietitian, a health writer and consultant in Chicago, Illinois. She has a background in research and communications, and she is very skilled at being able to translate the nutrition like the latest nutrition science um, into understandable messages for clients and friends and and the public. She also has expertise in vegan nutrition, and she occupies this awesome, so needed space of being super passionate about um, ethical veganism, but also utilizes a health at every size approach and is a big believer in body autonomy and respect. And so when I wanted to have a conversation about the intersection of intuitive eating with veganism. I couldn't think of anyone better to discuss this with than Taylor. Um, There are so many sort of confusing messages we get from both communities when it comes to what's right and what's wrong and what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. And our mission in our conversation today with Taylor is just to kind of talk about talk about how someone potentially could find this balance for them and whether that sends you to um one way of doing things or another is less important to us than just having these conversations. So if you don't happen to be someone who is um a practicing vegan, I still think that it could be very interesting to listen to this conversation just to understand friends or family or people in your community better. Um And also to open your mind to the fact that uh, being vegan doesn't inherently mean that you um, you are fat phobic or you are against body liberation or you have issues with health at every size. So you can find a balance here. So in no way, shape or form are Taylor or I trying to convert or convince you to do one way of eating versus another, our intention here is just to kind of shed light on this intersection and just kind of explore it a little bit. Um, Please remember that any conversations you hear on this podcast are not intended to be taken as a replacement for individualized treatment from a registered dietitian or a medical team for eating disorders or anything else, so we do touch on that a little bit in this episode. We talk about um, how how to kind of identify if vegan, if being vegan is right for you, given where you might be in recovery. So be. Be aware that this conversation is definitely not intended to replace any type of individualized nutrition advice you may get from your eating, disor- eating disorder treatment team. And um, just remember, a podcast is uh, put being put out there to lots and lots of different people, and certain things will resonate, and certain certain things won't, and that is a okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with you if you listen to this conversation and you disagree, or you totally agree, or you. Do like what I say, or you don't like what I say, or or for Taylor, um, sometimes it's nice to just kind of remember like this is just my my goal with this is just to kind of get us thinking and to get us learning about how ourselves more and about others as well. So with that, let's get into the conversation with Taylor Wolfram all about navigating this intersection between a vegan lifestyle and intuitive eating. Hi Taylor, welcome to Nutrition Matters podcast, and thanks so much for joining me.
1: Hey, Paige, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yay, me too. Okay, Taylor, just take a second and introduce yourself, sort of generally explain who you are and what you do to the listeners.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, so, my name's Taylor Wolfram. I run a virtual private practice out of Chicago. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. Um, so, I focus on intuitive eating, I practice from a health at every size lens, I do a lot of body. Acceptance work with my clients. Um, I've also been an ethical vegan for over a decade, so I have expertise in plant-based nutrition. So I also help clients with that. Although not all of my clients are plant-based, and they don't have to be. Um, so yeah, I uh, my background I have um, in research and communication. So I really love you know writing and research and digging into the nitty-gritty of nutrition science.
0: Awesome. So did you go back to school to become a dietitian?
1: Nope. No, I did it pretty traditional route. Um, I have a bachelor's in nutrition. I was pre-med for a few years before switching over to nutrition, but I did like the straight through traditional route of, you know, bachelor's in nutrition. And then um, my dietetic internship was combined with the master's.
0: Oh, gotcha. Great. Okay, so that's our topic for the day. Part of what you said there in introducing yourself is why we're here and what we're going to be talking about. So, um let's just paint the picture for listeners. We want to we want to talk about this sort of I don't know if the right word is intersection or sort of blending or the nuance. I don't I'm not really exactly sure what we want to call it, but just this space where and this question that I know that I get a whole lot of how do I navigate my concern and my values around animals, and also my convictions for health at every size and honoring my body and really working to connect to my body's needs are the two ideas of like intuitive eating and veganism, are they mutually exclusive terms? So that's sort of the structure of our of our conversation today is just to explore that and to just kind of um, see what we can do to, to maybe answer some people's questions, and maybe even we'll create more questions throughout. I'm sure that's, that's what I love to do. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what else would you like to add to sort of paint the picture about why this topic is important and why people kind of struggle with this intersection?
1: Yeah, I think you did a really great job of introducing it, um, you know, and it, I think the the biggest kind of idea is that nothing is black and white, right? Like, there's a lot of gray area, there's a lot of nuance, like you said, um, and, you know, there's no such thing as perfection with anything. Um, so I think keeping that in mind throughout, you know, this discussion and, you know, I like to kind of look at things like, well, how are they more similar than than they're different? Um and since being kind of at the intersection of of veganism and health at every size you know i've really been able to see a lot of similarities kind of at the foundation of of these beliefs and these philosophies which has helped me kind of explain it to other people so i think you know just keep in mind that everything is gray and you know there are more similarities and differences
0: I love it. And I think another thing I want to say, and I'm sure you'll have thoughts about this too, is in no way, shape, or form are Taylor or I trying to um, convert anybody to one way or another of eating, right? So this don't misconstrue our conversation and exploration about a vegan lifestyle as us trying to convince someone to be vegan or to not be vegan. Uh, that's not in my intentions, and I'm sure it's not in yours either.
1: Hmm. Yep.
0: Okay. Great. So let's take a minute, Taylor. Will you just define the word vegan? What What does that word even mean? Just in case someone's uh, someone's not following that part of our conversation so far.
1: Yep. Yeah. Totally. Great idea. Um, so the original definition of it is veganism is a way of living which seeks to exclude. As far as is possible and practical, which are key, all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing and any other purpose. So like entertainment, personal care products, that sort of thing. So um, as it pertains to food, um, you know, that means there's no meat or eggs or dairy um, or any sort of like animal products in one's eating patterns. So whether it's like the actual flesh of an animal or anything that comes from an animal, um, you know, people have different feelings about honey um, and things like that. Um, People have feelings about palm oil, even though palm oil itself is, you know, from a plant, it's, you know, really taking away um, orangutan habitat. So it's like, well, is that really vegan? Because it's hurting orangutans. So, you know, you can go as far as you want with it, but the key words I think are As far as is possible and practical, because like I said, there's no such thing as perfection, um, you know, and everyone has different resources that are accessible to them. And that's something really important to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's such a good point about whatever's possible and or practical, because did I get those words right? Is that what you said? Okay. Um, Yeah, because we we tend to get so all or nothing and rigid about this stuff, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I'm so interested in you, Taylor, because this, this sort of – in I, I, okay, so the health at every size space is becoming more of a big deal in the last just few years, right? So I think when any group or group of people sort of storms together, there's there's these different phases of how norms get established and how people decide – what we believe and what we don't believe. And and side note, I know that Health at Every Size was um, started and fat activism has a whole history before all of this. And I do not mean to discount that. I just think it's becoming a bit more mainstream and talked about. And people on the street, you know, a random person on the street might say, yeah, I've heard of that. I know what that is. So um, it, in just the last little bit, I hear leaders in – or sort of thought leaders or influencers, I don't like that word, but whatever. Um, people who have a voice and a platform in the health, the health at every size space kind of getting a little bit more brave about sharing like, yeah, there's a lot of nuance to this. Like I don't necessarily um, want to be ashamed of the fact that like I happen to be um, a vegan. I happen to be an ethical vegan and I believe in these ideals as well. And is there room for me here, here in this space, given the fact that like maybe many, many folks in the Health at Every Size space might be a little bit skeptical of um of a vegan lifestyle. Do you want to speak to that a little bit and tell me what your kind of experience with that has been? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I that
1: definitely resonates with me. And in the beginning, I was like a little afraid to speak out about that because there are some who are outspoken um, of almost coming towards veganism, assuming like it's automatically restrictive and disordered. And, you know, it's mutually exclusive with intuitive eating. Right. Which, of course, isn't the case, but in some cases it can be used as restriction and, and disorder, and we, and we can get into that. Sure. Um, but I think it's important to know also, like, just coming at it from the framework of how do you integrate your personal beliefs with, you know, intuitive eating and health at every size, and that's not limited to something like veganism. Um, I have interviewed a couple dietitians to write a blog post on how to balance your ethics with intuitive eating. Um, Um, So we talked about veganism, but we also talked about religion, you know, people who might follow specific religious dietary law, you know, if they keep kosher or if they um, are Muslim and, you know, don't eat Haram foods. Um, And then people who are really concerned about the environment and make food choices based on, you know, their carbon footprint or water footprint or whatever it is. So this isn't limited only to a discussion about animals. And I think in order to make intuitive eating as inclusive as possible, we have to understand that you know, people are going to be bringing their personal beliefs and values into this. And how do we help them integrate that in a way that isn't disordered or restrictive? And it it is absolutely possible. But when we automatically shut out that idea, then I I think we're turning people away from intuitive eating.
0: Yeah, people that might otherwise really benefit and or make the space better and help us grow and learn. Right. So it's, it's, it's a bummer when we, again, I think a lot of this stems from this black and white, all or nothing perspective and an inability to see the gray, right. Where it's like, well, wait a minute, maybe it doesn't need to be that, um, vegan, vegan lifestyle automatically equals restriction and disorder Yes, sometimes that does mean that, but it's not always that and maybe we need to look a little further and be a bit more curious and be a bit more willing to listen and understand. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I you know, I think it's fascinating as I um as I observe sort of the dynamics of different schools of thought in the nutrition world. I think it's fascinating that I think a lot of times we are reliving the narrative that we're rejecting, right? So we're in the health at every size or intuitive eating space. Like by the way, I identify as being in that space. I'm not against it. I'm not um I'm not trying to like be super critical, but at the same time, many of you will know that it's my firm belief that when you love something, you you try to help make it better, and that involves critiquing. And um, so, I don't see critiques as uh, negative. I think it's actually a really positive, helpful thing. So, I see some interesting dynamics of um, kind of like who's in and who's out, and um, what do we believe, and who do we who do we want to exclude. And um, I like. I think sometimes we relive that dieting narrative uh, without even really meaning to in our efforts of rejection where maybe it's not, maybe it doesn't need to be so all or nothing. Maybe it needs to be a bit more nuanced. How do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I really love that perspective. I think that's really interesting. Like, are we kind of using these thought patterns and mindsets that we're trying to move away from but they're just manifesting in a different way um and almost maybe treating intuitive eating like it looks one specific way and if it doesn't look that way then you know you're not doing it right sort of thing and it's I kind of tell people just because you give yourself permission to eat all foods doesn't mean you have to eat all foods. yes you know like yeah you don't You don't have to eat like everything that another intuitive eating person is eating or whatever that dietitian is talking about or posting, like it can look different for you. Um, So yeah, I just think that being more inclusive and having, you know, more diversity in this space is only going to make it better.
0: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Great point. Um, And I think, I think even aside from the conversation about vegan, a vegan lifestyle fitting in with intuitive eating, I think, you know, take two people who have very similar food philosophies um, and their, their eating patterns will look different. Right. So um, yeah, like intuitive eating doesn't look one way, even when it's two vegans eating intuitively or two non-vegans eating intuitively. So that's something that I think we're still sort of working through when it comes to working on rejecting diet. The diet mentality is we, we continually kind of see it pop up when we're like, "Oh, what's that person needing?" and I need to compare, and how do I measure up? That's that's I, this is an inherently very like intrinsic and individual um, process. So yeah, I I just wanted to set the stage there a little bit and kind of talk about about that to to sort of help people understand our intentions and kind of where we're coming from with this. Great. Okay. So for you, Taylor, tell us about what came first. Did you, so you said you've been an ethical vegan for 10 years. Um, What did you discover intuitive eating and health at every size uh, after that? Or what was the timeline for you? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Yep. It came after. Um, So I was an undergrad um, when I kind of realized that, you know, oh, like I haven't really eaten meat in a while. Like, I don't really like it. You know, does that mean I'm vegetarian? Like, what does that mean? Um, so then I started looking into it um, and, you know, as I was learning more and about like the animal agriculture industry and, you know, what was going on, I was like, this is something that I don't want to contribute to. Um, you know, I love animals and, you know, this seems like, you know, there's plenty of, of vegetarian options in the dining hall and I don't even really love me anyway. So let's give this a go um and it kind of snowballed from there um my university had like an animal rights group that i joined um and i was going to school in a bigger city so they also had like a bigger animal rights community that i got involved in you know doing activism like protests and demonstrations and and other events like that and i later went on to lead that um that group and so you know my i morphed from vegetarian to vegan while i was Um, in undergrad, and and it was purely, you know, for ethical reasons. But also during this time, um, there were certain like plant-based documentaries and books coming out that um, were using very strong tactics, um, you know, to convince people that they had to eat a certain way to prevent certain diseases or whatever it was. Um, And I did get Caught up in that, um, and did go through a period of disordered eating myself with that, um, and so I've kind of experienced both sides in my experience, you know, as a vegan, which I think is is interesting, um, and I discovered intuitive eating. Well, the first time I heard about it, <clears throat> I was a dietetic intern. Actually, I was at like an in-service where interns from another program were were talking about it, and I thought it was cool, but I didn't really give it much thought. Um, and it probably wasn't until like 2015, um, that I, you know, actually read the book intuitive eating myself. I'm really committed to self-study, um, you know, watching all the webinars on the ASDO website and, you know, reading all the books, listening to all the podcasts, doing some workshops and things like that, where I really, really dove in, um, and kind of transformed my personal and dietetic philosophies to align with fat acceptance and, you know, truly inclusive healthcare.
0: So when you first did that process of kind of learning about intuitive eating, did you wonder, is there a place for me? Um, is this like, can I fit here as someone who is who is a, an ethical vegan?
1: Yeah, you know, at that point, I think I felt pretty confident. I don't think I ever second-guessed myself because I had already been, in, you know, a vegan for a while. And for me, I'm lucky enough that I live – in a city where I can go out and get like vegan deep dish pizza and and donuts and burgers and like whatever I want, I can get like a, a vegan version of it very easily. Um, and you know, I, I live around lots of grocery stores that have lots of vegan alternatives. So it's very easy for me to not feel restricted in any way, shape or form. Um, so, I never felt that way, but I can understand how some people may feel that way if they don't have as many of those vegan alternatives or vegan fun foods accessible to them.
0: Yeah. So what about professionally as you were like listening to podcasts or reading books or looking at discussions online? Um, I know I see that. I see this conversation pop up on a regular basis in professional groups, but also in um, groups that are geared toward lay people who will ask like, what about this? The, does this fit in with intuitive eating? And, you know, there's, there's, it seems to me like, like there's some kind of fighting about this topic and it can kind of feel contentious. Does did, did it ever feel that way for you professionally?
1: Luckily, no, it didn't. Um, you know, I was aware of maybe some conversations happening in online spaces that could get a little contentious, but I really never involved myself in them. Um, I think for a while I was really only in like the bubble of like intuitive eating and health at every size practitioners, um, while I was, you know, really in that learning period. Um, but you know, I think once I came out of that a little bit, I, I didn't really ever feel, um, um, challenged by anyone else. I guess you could say, I, I felt like, you know, I, I knew the science, I, I knew, you know, kind of like the, the ethical part of it. Um, and, you know, how we want to treat our patients and clients. And I felt really secure in that. And I never felt personally, you know, attacked or challenged, but I, I've also haven't worked, you know, traditional dietetics. Like I, I'm not like on a team with other dietitians who think otherwise, like I have a private practice where it's just me. Um, and I recently left, um, you know, an office job where I was the only dietitian on my team there. So Luckily I think I was a little protected from that.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. So what are some you've already hit on one, but what are some difficulties people might run into when trying to sort of navigate this intersection of intuitive eating and vegan veganism? Um I, I'm really interested to sort of hear your perspective on what if someone is a vegan initially and then learns about intuitive eating and and or what about if someone is really excited about intuitive eating and really dove in and then sort of finds themselves at a place where they're they're looking at their their values and their ethical concerns around animals? Um, I'd be really interested to hear kind of what do you see as some of the most common struggles to find the balance there?
1: Yeah, Unfortunately, there's a lot of problematic content within. The vegan space and I think I'll pause right here to kind of differentiate With what I mean when I say like vegan, so I'm meaning like Ethical veganism, you know, it's not just about food. It it goes throughout your whole lifestyle like, you know, you try not to buy leather or wool or silk and you know, you don't go to zoos or circuses and you know, you you don't buy um, Like shampoo that's untested on animals. So that's what I mean when I say vegan or ethical vegan Um, and then there's kind of like this other camp of, of plant-based folks who are motivated almost entirely by health. So they think that, you know, getting rid of all animal products, um, from their eating pattern is going to, you know, help them prevent or reverse disease or help them live longer or whatnot. Um, so Unfortunately, those get very blended because sometimes the way they eat, like it's easier to say like, oh, you don't eat animal products. Like I'm just going to kind of think of you all as, as the same. Um, where, whereas in reality, I think the two look very different, um, like I said, because there are so many vegan alternatives and fun foods out there these days um, that, you know, one can eat. Um, but then there are some people who eat, quote unquote, plant based who look down on those, you know, like no processed food, whatever it is. Um, so the problem comes from there being a, a lot of that plant-based rhetoric, um, if someone is looking for information on veganism on the internet, for instance, um, you'll run into a lot of problematic plant-based content that is very diety. that does have a lot of, um, you know, fat phobia in it, there is a lot of healthism in there, so, you know there are just a handful of resources that i recommend to people um but other than that i'm like please put your blinders up when you're in the online space like don't go down like the google rabbit hole sort of thing like just trust me and just stick to these resources because as you know in the beginning like it can be very triggering when you're constantly seeing all these you know health claims and diet advice and and unfortunately, that's just everywhere in the plant based community. So I'd say for someone who's just jumping into it, that is the most challenging thing, because there are so many sensational claims out there of, you know, you have to eat this way to be the healthiest. And I think that's even stronger in the plant based community. And the truth is, that's just not, you know, that's just not accurate.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. I love the way you, you discuss that the idea of like, the differentiation between <clears throat> different camps within maybe this larger category of people we sometimes all lump together. And it's really important to recognize like th- there's, there's issues within the vegan community that are similar to outside of it of like sensational claims and healthism and all of this stuff. But, but maybe I, I think even almost to a hi- like a higher extent, like a more so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of shaming, you know, like, well, if you're, if you don't appear to be fit and healthy or whatever it is, fit this certain physical standard, then, you know, you're not being a good role model for the movement or you're not helping animals or you're not helping attract other vegans because you're making it look unhealthy. Oh my gosh. Is that is so terrific, Of course. That's and so there are
0: people, culty and weird. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> oh,
1: people. Oh my gosh. Yeah, people are really mean in in some of the vegan spaces and even more so in some of like the online groups. It's insane. Wow. Um, But there are definitely, you know, differently abled folks, fat folks, like people who don't necessarily fit those standards within the vegan community. And they feel very ashamed and they're not coming out and doing activism and, and participating as much as they want to because they're afraid of being shamed by their peers, which, of course, in the end, that's only hurting the movement. So there's a lot of problems
0: in that area. That is fascinating. Um, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that dynamic. Oh, wow. Um, what about, what about just from a nutrition perspective, you, you mentioned earlier that you are really happy to live in a big city and to have so much, uh, so many options accessible to you. Um, and you are very aware and value not feeling restricted. Uh, that's a big part of your, approach to food. So I'm wondering for someone who's maybe newer or dipping their toes into this, what, what are some things to be aware of from like that deprivation or restrictive sort of feelings with vegan, like, uh, living a vegan lifestyle? How does someone navigate feelings of restriction if that comes up for them? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So we really dig into like, say I have a client who I'm navigating this with, um, and you know, I kind of outlined those two different camps in the beginning, but a lot of times it does overlap for people, you know, they may get into it for ethics and then start hearing more of like the health stuff and they care about that, or they might get into it for health and then start learning about, you know, the animal abuse stuff. And so they start caring about that. So it's not to say that you only care about one thing or the other. So, um, you know, and it's almost impossible to avoid those crazy health claims and a lot of the, the dieting nonsense Um, so a lot of my clients who are vegan or wanting to be vegan kind of come to me with a mixed bag of, you know, motivations and kind of, you know, their, their ideas behind things. So first I, I always kind of lay out like, okay, well, what are all your reasons for being vegan? You know, like, what do you, what do you care about? What are you hoping to achieve? And that helps me kind of, um, see if there might be any, you know, potentially disordered things happening. Um, and then. You know, we talk about, you know, what they have accessible to them, if they're feeling restricted, like if they're having any cravings for non-vegan foods or whatever it may be. Um, For a lot of folks who are who are ethical vegans, um, animal products aren't even like seen as food, if you know what I mean. Like it doesn't feel restrictive to like not eat an animal-based food because it doesn't even feel like food. Like, you know, I'd be no more likely to eat like a beef-based burger than I would to eat like a rock. (laughs) So I personally, you know, don't feel restricted, but some people might. And so for them, you know, it's like, well, is that something you can go buy vegan or make yourself vegan? Or, you know, do you want to explore, you know, having that food in your life and, and working through, you know, those feelings of restriction or those cravings. And that freaks people out sometimes like, Oh my God, like, what do you mean? Like I have to eat meat. I'm like, no, I'm not saying you have to, but you know, I also don't want you to feel restricted your whole life. And this might be something to work through to achieve like true food freedom and to go back into veganism without feeling like you're restricted. And it really does look different for everyone. So I can't say like, there's one thing that I, that I do for all my clients. It's really an individualized, approach. And, you know, as you know, people come with so much history and and baggage and different feelings and experiences with food that um, it's really just different for everyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you do you ever do you think that there are situations where making the choice to um, eat in a vegan way like is is risky or not advised or I just feel like as we're talking about this, I always try to think of the most vulnerable, the the people who are in the middle of a deep struggle with food. And I think to me, there are some kind of risky things about, about this. So I kind of want to hear what your perspective is as far as like priorities. How do you know you might be ready to look at this versus, all right, maybe this isn't on the table at this point? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So for me, one thing I, I ask people is like, you know, kind of giving getting an idea for what they're currently eating um, and seeing what kind of those like fun foods or alternatives are incorporating, And if people um, have a fear of like vegan cheeses or vegan meats or ice creams or whatever it is, that's a big red flag to me that they're using it as a form of restriction, um, that it's not just for ethical reasons. And so then we'll dive in and say, you know, maybe like, how do you feel about, you know, maybe putting this on the back burner and really making peace with these foods, um, you know, the non-vegan versions. But sometimes people can do it by just making peace with the vegan versions of, of those foods. Um, so it really depends. And I personally don't work with folks with active eating disorders. I do eating disorder recovery and, you know, disordered eating and chronic dieting. Um so I know that's a little bit different for folks with active eating disorders, but I also know that a lot of residential eating disorder facilities won't allow ethical vegans to, you know, abstain from animal foods, which is pretty problematic and kind of turns away certain people from treatment. Um, I did hear that one program is creating a vegan menu, but I personally don't have experience in that area, so I, I don't want to speak to it too much. But I, I know obviously there's a lot more nuance, um, you know, with with the more acute the situation is.
0: Yeah. And my opinion is that when, when there is an active eating disorder, the it's so tricky to try to understand is my desire for eating in a vegan way? Is that like my true ethical, like internal self that wants that? Or is that um like the eating disorder finding a sneaky way to sort of um rear its ugly head, and so it, it seems like from a priority perspective, there comes a point where you are stable enough in your relationship with food, where maybe you can look at that and explore that with your dietitian, but um in certain points, especially if it's not something that that's been part of your life before, it's just all of a sudden you're like,' nope, now I'm a vegan, and you're like in the middle of um you know, a really acute struggle, that just seems like a big red flag from a from a clinician perspective. Would you agree or do you have other things you'd like to add to that?
1: Yeah, I think that the timing is really important, like you said. Um, and I think it can be done as long as that access to vegan alternatives and those vegan fun foods is there, as long as they're able to incorporate those um so you know it's not like they're eating significantly less of certain you know macronutrients than other people you know maybe like the nutritional spread and you know the calories might look exactly the same um it's not to say like if you're eating vegan that automatically is quote unquote healthier right um so as long as someone is able to eat you know the vegan version of of whatever else is being served or what they would otherwise be eating. I think that is a key part to making it work in recovery. Um, But yeah, I think the timing is really helpful to determine like, might this be an eating disorder decision versus an ethical decision?
0: Sure. And what I always run into on a, in a podcast format, that's really tricky is you're talking, we're talking to, you know, thousands of people or tens of thousands of people. So it's like, it's really tough because these cases are very individualized and that's why you have a team and that's why um, you have a full assessment on you and your health and your well-being and your history and your health history and all of that. So we're kind of talking in generalities here and this is in no way trying to, you know, replace any individualized medical or dietary decisions that are being made in eating disorder treatment. So yeah, the the nature of a podcast is just like we're just chatting about this. We're not giving medical advice. <laughs> I guess is what I want to say.
1: Yeah, that's a really important reminder and I definitely would encourage anyone who who does find themselves at an intersection of an eating disorder or disordered eating of of course to, you know, get help, but especially, you know, when it's kind of tangled up with veganism or plant-based to absolutely seek help, um, you know, and there are people who Um, have expertise in those areas who might be able to, you know, really understand where you're coming from. Because I've, I also come across people who only want to work with someone who is vegan themselves, because, you know, they might be fearful that anyone else would just be trying to convince them not to be vegan, you know, that they might be bringing in biases. So it can get kind of messy sometimes.
0: Definitely, definitely. I can totally see all of what you said, Okay, so Taylor, let's spend some time talking about uh, your constructive criticisms for the health at every size, intuitive eating space. Uh, what what they could do better with conversations about veganism, and then I would also love to hear kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. What could what constructive criticisms do you have for the vegan space? as far as how they handle or think about issues related to health at every size and intuitive eating.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. So I feel like we've already kind of been talking about how veganism is handled within the intuitive eating and health at every size space. Um, And I think the biggest thing is just not to automatically react or, you know, tell someone no or, or whatever it is because you don't want that person to be withholding information from you or assuming that you, you know, have an agenda to convince them not to be vegan or, or whatever it is, and to really just get very curious. And, you know, to ask lots of questions about their reasonings about their motivations, you know, what are they eating, ask them how they feel about vegan cheese and vegan, you know, burgers and pizza and donuts and all of that. And, you know, throughout kind of this data collection, you might be able to paint a picture of what's going on. Um, and just very gently kind of asking those probing questions and, and trying to understand what is actually going on for that person and acknowledging that there might be a lot of different reasons why they're choosing this lifestyle. It may not be one or the other. Um, and it, you know, does need to be very individualized and, you know, if anyone ever has any, any questions, like I'm, I'm here, um, you know, if anyone feels stuck with a client or, or whatever it is, um and you know just to i think health practitioners also can get lost in that crazy internet world of plant-based rhetoric like i was describing before um and there are some really great um you know kind of straightforward evidence-based like vegan nutrition resources out there if people are interested and like really want to you know help their clients those exist and i'm you know more than happy to share those with you um and i have a bunch of them linked on my website but there is you know, a space out there. And there are resources out there that aren't focused on, you know, preventing and reversing disease or losing weight, you know, as a vegan or whatever it is like there is a way to, you know, get the the need to know on, you know, vegan nutrition and not get lost in in the craziness.
0: Yeah. So do you think that the the vegan space sort of outright rejects intuitive eating? Or, or would you say that maybe that's more of like the camp that's really excited about some of these huge sweeping claims about health or help yeah, us understand so that? Yeah, so I
1: think, yeah, like the ethical vegan community, for those who are like really in it for ethics, like there are a lot of really awesome, like fat positive people, um, you know, who kind of like myself, like they're advocating for a lot of different things, like not just animals, right? And they like really get it um, and they're really protective of, of intuitive eating and things like that. Um, But it's more of that like plant based space um, that I see tons of orthorexia um, and see there, you know, there being like no room for, quote unquote, processed foods or fun foods or whatever it is. And there's lots of fear there of, you know um, how, how we eat in our, every single eating decision might, you know, it's either contributing to disease or not. And, you know, there's a lot of black and white thinking there. Um, and like I said, that kind of gets lumped in with kind of like the ethical vegan space. And so that's where I see a lot of problems. Um, there's just really a lot of misguided beliefs out there and a lot of misinformation about, health and kind of like we see in the in the general world of you know how strongly is body size and body weight associated with health outcomes you know how how strongly are our food choices associated with health outcomes like let's look at social determinants of health and everything else and I think that is a conversation that's not really being had there um you know the whole concept of like lifestyle medicine and let's go off your meds and cure your diseases with with food you know I'm not saying that food can't Help you know obviously're we're, we're dietitians like we understand the power of what you know food and, and good nutrition can do for some people, but we also understand its limitations and I think that that is missing in that space
0: yeah that's that's really that's really true to what i've seen as well um i'm I'm interested to know what would you say to someone who their ethical heart just really loves the idea of um, a vegan lifestyle, but on a practical level, it just does not feel doable for whatever reason. Maybe that's socioeconomic status, or maybe that's what's accessible or available in their home, or, um, maybe other reasons. I would just be really interested to know how does someone handle maybe things that don't line up perfectly for them?
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. I love this question. Um, because not everyone does have, you know, really great resources, Um, And so I think coming at it from a point of having grace with yourself and asking what can I do with what I have, you know, and understanding that veganism isn't just about food. Um, So say for some reason that you do need to incorporate some animal foods into your eating style, you know, you need to do that for you and I always tell people like your health comes first and that includes your mental health and if they're very motivated by helping animals I always like to say you know like in order to do the most you can for animals for the longest time possible like you have to make sure that you're in good health Um, so sometimes it helps to kind of use that as a motivator to thinking about the long-term picture and and making sure that they're stable Um, but yeah I'd say just look at what you can do decide what's accessible for you. Um, what, what is realistic and sustainable in your life? And then just understanding that it's not your fault. You know, this is the world that we live in. This is how the world is, is built and it's not your fault. You know, that you feel like you have to participate in certain systems. I think there is a lot of guilt, um, and kind of self judgment and kind of internalized shame with that. Um, and I, again, I think that goes back to a lot of the really intense rhetoric in that space, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, there's a, a good book called How to Create a Vegan World, a Pragmatic Approach. And it talks all about, um, he calls them inconsistencies, but basically it's like the concept of there's no such thing as perfection. And I think it's a really nice gentle way to look at it when people get so caught up in like, am I doing enough, am I vegan enough? You know it might, you know, it's, it's just, um, it can be really harmful on yourself. You can really just lead yourself into burnout and that's not helping anyone at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. So is there such a thing as being vegan ish, like where you enjoy vegan meals, uh, when they're, or plant-based meals when they're sort of in your control and when you're the one cooking, but when you go out with friends or when, Life happens. You don't beat yourself up about eating some salmon with dinner or something like that. Is there is there room for that?
1: Yeah, of course. Um you know, some people are really protective of the term vegan. It's like, well, if you eat fish sometimes, you're definitely not vegan like whatever. So, I don't really want to talk about labels, but you know, you can do whatever you want to do and like I tell people like going 90% is amazing. You know, sometimes that last 10% can be really tough. So you don't need to do it like you're already doing so much good for animals. And I think I think of it the same way of people who who want to, you know, make more eco-friendly choices in their lifestyle, which which can be really hard in the world that we live in. And it's like, well, look at what you're already doing, you know, focus on that and going as far as you can. Um, But yeah, what you just described is like literally my my husband, like our house has always been vegan, but sometimes he'll go out to a work dinner at like a steakhouse and he'll get salmon. Um, you know, and it's just like, that's, that's what it is. And that's fine for him, you know, that that works for him, but he doesn't, you know, identify as vegan or stress about it. That's just his lifestyle.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So we were on this sort of conversation of how could, how could people do better in both spaces? Is there, we've kind of covered just to summarize, we've covered that folks in the health at every size or intuitive eating space, you kind of covered what clinicians might be able to do better. I'm also interested in someone who identifies as like, let's say they've been listening to podcasts and following people online, and they're really pumped up about the idea of um, body liberation and connecting to their body and letting go of the diet mindset. Um, But and they're really pumped up about like, all foods fit. Woo! Yeah. So what if like, I could see how just the average everyday person who has come across this stuff might bristle against someone who, who comes into their life who's like, I'm, I'm an ethical vegan. I, I could see how that could be hard even for the average person to sort of navigate both from the, the person who is practicing um, a vegan lifestyle and the person who's really pumped up about the idea of like letting go of the diet mentality. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And I think just, you know, practicing non-judgment with others. And then if you feel like people are making comments about your food or talking too much about food, just setting boundaries and say, you know, I'd appreciate if you didn't say that, or can we talk about something else? They're just changing the conversation. I don't think it's necessarily specific to veganism, but I also know that ethical veganism is triggering because of that plant-based stuff that's happening on the side. I don't necessarily think ethical veganism itself would be as triggering if there weren't also that healthism and fat phobia happening in the plant-based community, which is really too bad.
0: So is the term plant-based, like, is that a euphemism for veganism or is that its own separate thing?
1: So this is a huge problem because there isn't a standard, like, widely accepted definition. Some folks mean it to be what's called whole foods, plant-based, where it is very restrictive. Some, you know, even restrict like oil and salt and things like that. So it's very like no processed foods, you know, no vegan meat or cheese alternatives, anything like that. Like it's literally just like fruits, veggies, whole grains and beans and nuts and seeds. Um, Some folks use plant-based as like, yeah, most of what I eat is plants. Um, But that's kind of problematic because that's like most people, you know, like you could even look at my my plate or like the dietary guidelines and say that's like technically plant-based, like most of it is like plant foods. Um, So that's been a problem like within different spaces, like even within like the academies, like vegetarian, nutrition, DPG, like, you know, can we claim that term? Can we define that term? What does it mean? Different groups in different spaces are, are meaning different things. Um, so I kind of look at it as, you know, one need not exclude all animal foods to enjoy good physical health, that there's just no research to support that there's plenty of research to support, you know, eating a lot of plant foods and good physical health outcomes, but that doesn't mean that you can't also eat animal foods with it. So when I see that someone is eating zero animal foods all for health, that kind of sends a red flag for me that there's some disorder going on um, because that's just not necessary. So in my eyes, it's kind of like ethics is really – like the only true reason why you would get rid of absolutely all animal products. Does that make sense?
0: That does. Yeah. So I just, I hear these terms thrown around and I think that you're right. There's no really, there's no clear language. I think it seems to me, this is my uneducated perspective, but seems to me that the term vegan for some maybe has connotations that they didn't want to associate with. And then it was like, I'm gonna use this term plant based. And then it just it it's like, does it mean the same thing? Does it not? It or is this just a new, kind of more politically correct? I don't even know. It's just a really it's it's tough to navigate when you are just kind of on the outside watching like, hmm, what is what is all this? What's going on here? You know?
1: That's a really good point that you brought up of maybe not wanting to associate with the term vegan. I think a lot of even like in the ethical space, some people might gear towards plant based just because sometimes the term vegan might be associated with like very militant kind of activists and that sort of thing. So people don't want to associate that or or it turns people away or it sounds very, very extreme. Um, I'm kind of of the opinion of like I want to reclaim it, kind of like how people want to reclaim the word fat, you know, and it's not like a derogatory term, or it's not a, a, a mean term. I'm just describing my body like, yeah, I'm fat. Um, so and you know, because I have been an ethical vegan for over a decade, I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to use this term. And I also want to show people that you can be an ethical vegan and, and not be quote unquote, extreme, like you can still, you know, live by your values and live by your ethics and be a kind, compassionate, open minded person.
0: I love it. This has been so helpful for me to understand these different terms and to understand your perspective on all this. This is so enlightening. Do you have anything else to add about that question of like, what can each each uh, space do a little bit better to be more welcoming? Or do you think we've kind of covered, covered that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think just generally just being less judgmental, trying to quiet your initial reactions and just, you know, listen a little bit more and maybe ask some of those gentle probing questions and and try to, you know, put a lid on any preconceived notions that you have. Um, but I think it's much more problematic within the vegan and plant-based space. Um, there's a ton of work that needs to be done. And I was really excited because I got invited to speak at a plant based health conference next year on wheat stigma and fat shaming. I was like, yes, like oh, they reached awesome. out to me, so like they know that it's an issue and and it's mostly physicians there. So I'm a little nervous um but I'm really excited because it's so desperately needed in that space. So the change is coming. Um but there's a ton of work to be done that's for sure.
0: I'm super interested about that Taylor. I saw the other day you you met with a local vegan provider Um, And, and I just wonder, I mean, it's already very countercultural to be in like the health at every size space as a dietitian, people are like, it throws them off when they find out that you're not the food police and that you're, um, you know, when they find out what you do and don't do as, as a health at every size dietitian, people sometimes are surprised. So then I think about you and I think about adding on the layer of the label and the layer of um, a vegan lifestyle. Someone who practices ethical veganism, and I wonder, as you connect with other providers, is there? Do are they just shocked that you're like, no, like I'm fat positive and I am, um, I, I'm not a healthist. So tell tell us about what that's like for you.
1: Yeah. So I'd say, like for instance, that meeting you brought up I was really excited about it it's a a vegan family medicine physician in my city who you know wanted to meet and talk about referrals so I was really jazzed about that Um, and I could tell by some of the things they were saying that they were among like that kind of whole foods plant based crowd you know making kind of snide comments about quote-unquote vegan junk food and processed food and you know I was asking them what sorts of resources they share with clients and you know what resources they use to learn about vegan nutrition and They were ones that I would consider pretty problematic. Um, So I had a good idea of where they were coming from. So I wanted to, you know, not necessarily scare them away. So, you know, I explained about intuitive eating and helping, you know, people not have food rules and dieting and all of that stuff and finding these, you know, fun, enjoyable, you know, behaviors that are going to help them feel healthy and energized and that sort of thing. And they were like nodding along, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I wasn't coming at it kind of in an argumentative way. And I was very upfront with them and like, you know, gave them my business cards, which talk about intuitive eating and stuff. So it's very clear what I do, but that may have been their first introduction to what intuitive eating even is. Right. And we need to give people that
0: space, right? To kind of like not necessarily know right away.
1: Right. So I didn't want to come at it, like, totally, like, we're in warfare here, you know, I want to work together. And, you know, I would rather her refer her clients to me than, you know, someone else who, you know, is using a weight normative approach, of course. So, so we'll see how that goes. But I think, um, you know, it's not to say that you have to, like, water down your message, but it's just how do you deliver it to people so that they're not automatically defensive.
0: Oh, I totally agree. And, Yeah. I just, I just think I know for myself, like it is so challenging to, uh, to, to be in this space. It's so confusing for people to, when I try to explain what I do, people look at me like I'm crazy. And then I just think about you, these added layers that must be that you must just, I'm pretty used to it at this point. I'm sure you are too. It's just part of, part of your job to kind of gently educate and let people know what you do and don't do and like be okay with the fact that that won't resonate with everyone. And or like you said, it might be their very first exposure to a very like different paradigm around food and bodies. And so um, props to you. I think it's so necessary and so powerful that you're occupying this tricky space. Good for you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I will say that it it was pretty lonely at first. You know, I felt like I was too vegan for the Hayes community and then too Hays for the vegan community. And I'm kind of have this like double layer of like these countercultural beliefs. And like, you know, I'm just like too different or too progressive or like whatever it is. But, um, you know, there are a handful of other vegan RDNs who practice from an IE and Hayes perspective. Um, Amy Taylor and Angela Wortley are two that come to mind. So there are people in the space. There's not a ton of us, but, you know, I really appreciate people like you also who want to have these conversations and, and learn more and help people understand more. And I think, you know, the more open and accepting we can be, the better. And I've just been so grateful for, there's so many dietitians in the health at every size and intuitive eating space who are really supportive of my work and you know, who will message me or email me and say, Oh, thank you so much. Like I learned a lot about veganism from you and you know, I appreciate the way you deliver it. And that kind of gives me hope as well.
0: Absolutely. I agree. I have learned a lot from you and I do appreciate what you do. And, um, it's, you're very fun to follow and you're just, you're just a ray of sunshine. I enjoy it oh, so much. Thank you. <laughs> so Taylor, I know you've already kind of alluded to this, but I'd love, even if it's repeating a little bit, I'd love for you to just kind of speak to what you see as your professional mission. Um, what, what do you, what are you trying to do? What, what kind of niche do you feel? Phil.
1: Yeah. So I think for me, like my philosophy is all about compassion, you know, compassion for ourselves as well as others, um, including like our fellow earthlings, you know, all the other animals that we inhabit this planet with. um, And self compassion is something that so many of my clients struggle with, um, and helping them realize it's okay to prioritize themselves and establish meaningful and enjoyable self care routines like that's super fulfilling for me, especially with women. Um, You know, they often take on the caretaker role of everyone else in their life. So you know, how can how can they take on the caretaker role for themselves? Um, yeah, like many people are just filled with self judgment and they don't believe they deserve the love and care that they give to others. And so helping people understand that they do and what does that look like and how can we create, you know, these, these fun and and healthy behaviors.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. And that totally resonates with, with, um, my professional values too. And, um, yeah, I think it is so needed. I wish, I wish that self-compassion was taught in schools because yes. um, it's a skill that we can develop, and it's not necessarily something that that even like adults know how to do. But if we could learn it as children, it could be sort of more second nature than learning it in our 40s or whatever it might be. So, so Taylor, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate you. Uh, explaining all of this and being so patient with my questions where can people find you and follow along with with you talk about that for a second
1: yeah thank you so much Paige I really appreciate you know having the opportunity to answer these questions and you had really awesome questions and it's always a fun conversation um people can find me on my website TaylorWolfram.com. And then on social media, I'm Taylor Wolfram RD, um, like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I'm probably most um, active on Instagram, I'd say.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to share or did we cover what you wanted to cover?
1: Yeah, I think um, if there's anyone who is, you know, vegan or vegan curious and how that intersects with intuitive eating, I do have like a little freebie for, you know, kind of how to get started with intuitive eating specifically for vegans on my website. I have just a general one for non-vegans, but there isn't a lot of content out there in the world that kind of covers both. So if people are are looking for a place to start, um, you know, that's on my website and I also have a resources section that has links to to those vegan resources that i'd recommend that aren't necessarily going to throw you into like body shaming or dieting
0: awesome yay that's so great well thanks so much again taylor it was so nice chatting with you today thank you Paige, you as well well i sincerely hope you've enjoyed this conversation if you haven't already please go ahead and leave a review on itunes Thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you soon for another episode.